With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I gonna get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. The Eagles remain undefeated, and the Cincinnati Bengals finally get a W on the board. Those are two of the big takeaways coming out of our second Monday Night Football, second, third Monday Night Football doubleheader. Uh, here to talk about that and so much more is Trevor Sikama after finally getting his camera to work. That's why we're a little bit late today. So apologies for that. But uh, what's up, Trev? How's it going? All right. So you mentioned that the the, the Eagles beat the Bucks, uh-huh. and then you throw me under the bus with yeah. the technical difficulties. Yeah, yeah. We're doing. We're starting off strong. Mm-hmm. This duo is starting off very strong this morning. I feel the love for me, Sam. No, well, but everything's great, man. Yeah. Excited to be back on with you. It, it's just important to point out that it's not my fault. That's all I'm doing here. I don't even care who I'm throwing under the bus. Just as long as somebody other than me goes under it. That's the that's the main driving force here. Survival. Yeah, it's the most important instinct exactly. for all human beings. <laughs> You can't you can't fight that instinct, right? It's it's hard coded into human beings. That's true. all I'm doing. It's very true. I'm just it's true. I'm I should survive that. Um, so anyway, we're going to get into that, and then we're also going to cast our eye forward to the teams that are currently already keeping an eye on the top of the uh, 2024 NFL draft. If you've been with us for the first couple of weeks of the season, you know we talk quarterbacks, we talk wide receivers. This week, we're going to take more of a, uh, a holistic approach, a big picture view, and just look at the top 10 teams currently uh, positioned for those draft picks. But before we get into all that, fall is all about the back to school and back to routine checklist. And the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting, underwriting and health questions. Almost, almost made it through the terms and conditions mm-hmm. smoothly. But there's always there's always a hiccup somewhere. Can't ever you get know, through it. 
that's the challenge though you know it gives you something to come back to tomorrow to yeah. make sure that you they absolutely nail the the fine print if you will the thing that they speed up mm -hmm. in the radio commercials yep that's where that's that, that's the real test that's what will get stats. you i mean look you, you strive for perfection knowing that it's impossible to attain right but somewhere <laughs> south of perfection greatness lies and that's all i'm really chasing for is one great ad read you'll get it i believe in you <laughs> it won't be perfect no, i don't believe in that be i don't perfect. believe in you that much no, no, but no. it'll be great all right um so let's let's start to these uh get into these monday night football games philadelphia tampa bay uh the eagles I thought looked a lot more like the Eagles for the first time this season. Um, it was a little bit slow going at the start, but then they kind of hit a groove and pulled away and, you know, get to their 3-0 their and record and sort of looked more like the Philadelphia Eagles. Racked up over 500 yards, won at, with relative ease, and did it apparently with half the team suffering from the flu. Look, I'm going to be honest. This game went exactly the way that I thought it was going to. Like, and it went exactly the way that I figured it was going to even before the season began. <laughs> Everybody kind of has that post-success hangover. It's very, very rare that you get a team that either makes the Super Bowl or wins the Super Bowl that is able to just come out of the gate the very next year and just be that same juggernaut team. Like, it's always going to take a little bit of time. So for the Eagles to not absolutely hit the ground running this year, especially losing both of their coordinators, offensive and defensive, it makes total sense that, yeah, the team is really talented, but they're not blowing teams out of the water like we saw at the second half of last regular season. But they're still a really good football team. On the other side of things, Tampa, I tried to tell people, like, Tampa was going to be more competitive than, I think, Vegas Super Bowl odds or a lot of prediction shows were willing to admit. Like, they were going to hang tough with some teams, but... Certainly, if you take into account that they were down Carlton Davis, which is really important in this game going up against the Eagles wide receivers, and then Jamel Dean's in and out of the lineup with injury as well, Tampa doesn't have the offensive line to run the ball. And so unless Baker Mayfield plays mistake-free football, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get a team that, okay, 11 points scored. I figured it'd be a little bit more than that. You throw in a couple of the Mike Evans drops, maybe it's yeah. a little bit higher. But I figured the Bucks would score somewhere around 20 points. So if you take some mental mistakes in there into account, I don't know, man. This game kind of just went exactly the way I thought it was going to go. Philly's the better team. Tampa was a little bit more beat up. And really... Tampa cannot run the ball. They cannot run the football. And when they try to have balance in their offensive identity with a running game that is as poor as they have and an offensive line as poor as they have, it's just not going to work. You're not going to be able to beat some of these better teams in the league, and Philly showed that last night. And I think Baker Mayfield, as he's been reasonably impressive for the first few weeks of the season, certainly relative to where his um, – where his reputation had fallen to, I guess, is the yes. way of describing that. Like, he's been better than that. He's been closer to a, the old version of Baker Mayfield. Um, and But I think he's, he's still a quarterback where you don't want to be relying on him to have to do it, you know, all by himself. And by, you just don't want him needing to, like, okay, the Eagles are rolling. They're crushing it on the ground. They're going to put up points. Now we need Baker to keep pace, right? That's just not really going to happen. And as mm -hmm. much as, you know, Mike Evans made that spectacular one-handed catch, had a couple of really nice plays, early in the game, you know, he left some plays out there where Baker got the ball to him. Maybe not the greatest ball location in the world, but could have, should have been caught. Mayfield has been spectacular on third down, and maybe if a few of those uh, other catches or a few of those balls had been brought in, it might have been closer and they might have hung tough for longer. 
But I agree. I think eventually the Eagles would have eased away anyway, and the Bucks were just overmatched. Yeah, I think your assessment of Mayfield is correct. Like he certainly this year is showing that he can be that quarterback who, even in really important downs, you know, whether it's the red zone or third down, like he can make a good throw for you. Like he can give you those moments that are really nice. You just don't want it to be the entire game. And you know, it's funny he you look at the stat sheet and he only attempted twenty five passes. It felt like he attempted. 30 something passes like it felt like the ball was in his hand a lot last night and you're right you just don't want that to be the case he is the kind of quarterback who will give you the play that you need every now and then but it's not like some of the better quarterbacks in the league where you know every third down or every big opportunity it's okay this guy's got us you need to be a lot more balanced even for the best version of baker mayfield that we're seeing in the nfl so um given tampa's injuries certainly on the defensive side not having carlton davis was huge and then not having jamel dean was was bad as well devin white i mean he was playing through a groin injury which i didn't know last night and i only figured that out when he got the interception on Jalen Hurts and they just like ran out of bounds before contact like Devin White I think has some running back background in his football like back in high school or whatever like this dude could have played running back and it felt like if you go back and you watch that interception Vita Vea just takes (laughs) off and like Vita is about to one man blocking crew you like sunshine in in remember the titans where rev harris is right behind him and he's just bowling people over like one after another that was what it looked like vita Vey was going to do on that interception and then devin just stepped out of bounds because he didn't want to re-injure his groin anymore so i was kind of disappointed in that but yeah all in all i do i do agree with your assessment of baker thing was fine tampa's just especially up front and especially on their interior offensive line they're not at a place where they're going to be able to control the clock against really good teams. They could do it against the Vikings and the Bears. Like we saw that the last couple of weeks. They were able to do it a little bit better, but not against the Eagles. No chance. Yeah, they were they were fairly well dominated in up front on both sides of the ball, like both sides of the line of scrimmage. The the safety where, you know, Nicholas Moreau gets in to, to make the play, both uh Jalen Carter, who was spectacular in the game, and Jordan Davis, like those guys. You hear sometimes about resetting the line of scrimmage. They reset the line of scrimmage one yard behind the goal line. And then Moreau was able to get through the gap and be the guy that eventually made the play. But like that Georgia duo of defensive tackles just took the interior for Tampa Bay and moved it a yard behind the end zone line. And it's like the goal line, uh uh-oh, that's a problem. And they did that multiple times in the game. Jalen Carter was an absolute wrecking machine. And then the other side of the ball... Like, I had a screenshot of DeAndre Swift who ran just in a straight line right up the middle of the field and was 15 yards deep before anybody touched him. They were opening some major running lanes. Yeah, I don't want to take anything away from DeAndre Swift because I, I I hate kind of prefacing it like this, but people are like, oh, look at the resurgence in Philadelphia. Any, our boss, Chris Collinsworth, could have a resurgence in Philadelphia <laughs> behind that offensive line right now. So... It's uh, it's it's just kind of the Eagles impose their will on a team that they should have, right? And I and I think that that's what we saw last night in that game. The uh, another stat that they pulled out in the broadcast that was kind of amazing relative to Baker Mayfield, eight head coaches for Baker, which apparently is the most in NFL history over a six season span. Wait, eight head coaches? Eight different head coaches Baker Mayfield has played for in the NFL. In six seasons. That's crazy. Right? 
the I most... didn't realize it was eight. Well, think about it. Like, I mean, last season alone, it was two, right? So it's yeah. only take, it only takes two of those years for somebody to get fired at the midpoint or him to he change He had five teams. different head coaches when he was in Cleveland? No way. Uh, yeah. Like, he started off with Hugh, right? And then okay. it was Freddie Kitchens. And then... Okay. Uh, don't make me name them all, but they've, he's been through them all. Stefanski now. Well, that, so McVay. that I thought it was I thought it was six. Look, I I didn't fact check the broadcast. I just assume it's correct, right? Why would they lie to me? Look, six is a lot anyway. So even if, even if it's six, six is too many. Yeah. Well, last season he had two, right? Because he went from Carolina yes. to to the right. Rams, um, and then there must have been a year like. Bowles is three, yeah. and then Hugh Jackson, Freddie Kitchens, Four, five, and then Stefanski. So I thought it was—I thought it was six. There's got to have been another year. Like, did Kitchens make it through the full season, or did they get rid of him before he, the end? Did he? Did he technically play for Matt Rule? Maybe. Yeah. Before did Rule he, got fired, right? I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. The point is, they said eight eight head coaches in six seasons. Feel free to go to Wikipedia and track it yourself. Let me know. Um, but that's. I mean that's part of the Baker Mayfield roller coaster, right? Like for sure. There's yeah. Other quarterbacks have had to deal with a, a huge amount of turnover and coordinator and off in head coach, all those kinds of things, right? So it's not like it's unique to him. That being said, apparently eight in six years is unique to him in NFL history, and certainly can't have helped him settle into any kind of rhythm and, and get going and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Another element of that game it was Scorigami for those of you who partake. It was indeed. 25-11, final score, the 1,078th unique final score in NFL history. That score has never happened before in the history of the game. Wow. Congrats to Tampa. Uh, you know what? I'm going to count it as a win. Actually. You should. Yeah, yeah. Um, another couple of things, like just notes I had in that game. I think Reed Blankenship is now becoming so important to that Eagles secondary. Sure. That dude is a baller, yeah. and he's important in both the run and the pass game. When they miss him, it's a it's a massive loss in that secondary, particularly when you're down, you know, Nicobe Dean at linebacker as well. Like you're you're missing a lot of the spine of that group. He made such a difference to yesterday's game. Yeah, I agree. And then uh, you know, I'll just give a Homer shout out to Christian Izian, who is the 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 slot slash safety player for the Buccaneers, who they got as an undrafted free agent from Rutgers, who. Um, I know Troy Aikman was talking about it in the broadcast last night, but he's a player, man. I, I mean, for him to earn that job out of camp, I'm not going to say it was the stiffest competition in the world because they had that spot open. They, they needed somebody to step up and fill that spot, but they didn't just give it to Izian because he was the only guy there. It's like, all right, well, I guess we'll give it to you. He truly earned that job, and that was the whole vibe from everybody that was covering camp down there. Uh, in August, and I think that he's going to be a major player for them. To already have, I mean, you just look at how fast that guy's playing already from a slot position that demands so much. Not only are you tasked with guarding all different receivers of all different shapes and sizes because offense coordinators are trying to use the slot and the space that comes with it to put their best wide receivers in the most advantageous situations. So you're sometimes going up against guys that are six foot three, six foot four on one play. And then you're going up against guys that are five foot nine. The next play, two totally different skill sets. And yet you're still kind of asked to stay in front of them and stay with them. So not only is coverage difficult, but when to blitz, when to disguise it, the chemistry that you have when you're in zone coverage, not to mention the versatility that you have as a safety player too. 
I just could not be more impressed with Izzy and being able to play as fast and as confident as he already is in a Todd Bowles defense that is so aggressive, that demands that you are exactly where you are and playing is as fast as you can. Uh, it's it, it's pretty cool to see him. So Blankenship didn't uh, no um, no dimming of his spotlight at all whatsoever. He was great in this past game. I totally agree with you. But uh, just to give another shout out to a secondary member, Izzy has been great too. No, he was. Um, the last point to bring up, we've talked about this a bit in the podcast before, but I haven't heard your take on it, I don't think. Endless QB sneaks, double cheek push, tush push, whatever you want to call that play. There seemed to be no end of them in that game, and half the Twitter sphere is calling for the play to be outlawed. What do you think about that play? I mean, it's obviously not outlawed, so any team in the NFL could do it. Mm -hmm. To me, to me, it just emphasizes more how great the Eagles are on the offensive line because any team in the NFL could do this. Any team could literally just go to the all 22 of what the Eagles are doing and say, we're going to do this exact thing, but it doesn't happen nearly as much anywhere else in the NFL because nobody has the offensive line that the Eagles do. So I don't know, man, I, I I'm, I'm kind of indifferent about it. I don't love that it exists, but it's hard for me to say that it shouldn't. They're just playing football. And when the the the, the, only, the reason why we see the Eagles do it so often is because the offense is good enough to put themselves in fourth and one, fourth and two, third and two situations. So there, it's just a really good offense and a really good offensive line that gets emphasized with a play that isn't outlawed yet. I, I don't know, man. I, I just, I don't really have a super strong take here because I think people are just mad that the Eagles are having so much success with it. And that's simply just because they have one of the best offensive lines, if not the best of offensive line of football. And if other teams have that offensive line, they do it too. So it's almost like build your trenches better. I don't know. That's, that's kind of like my natural response to it, but they just have the perfect formula with that little rugby format. Am I allowed, am I, are we allowed to actually cook? So, Cause people call it like a rugby formation. It looks like rugby, but you are my go-to expert yeah. on all things rugby. So are you insulted when they say things like that? I mean, I'm not insulted. It's just, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's just wrong. Like it's factually incorrect, um, but it's fine. You know, call it whatever you like. I feel like, I think we're a long way away from having the body of evidence to determine whether it should be banned or not, right? It's too new. Like, people are like, well, this is unstoppable. It's like, well, it's, it's only really been around for a year, which is not really a, the length of time required to figure out if the league can, un, can find a way of stopping it, right? Stuff has dominated the league for a year in the past that doesn't exist yeah. anymore, right? The Wildcat was thought to be unstoppable for a period of time, and then the league figured it out and adjusted. And right. now nobody, nobody runs the Wildcat anymore because it doesn't work, because it's useless. Um, we don't, like, this could happen next week. Somebody figures out the solution to this thing. Now, when you start breaking it down, I think that's less likely given the way the rules are and given the problems that they have. Like, I think it is a very difficult play to stop, but that doesn't mean that the league won't figure out solutions to it. And if we were to ban everything that for like 12 months looked unstoppable, like that just seems way too reactionary, way too Yeah, Patrick Mahomes wouldn't be in the league. Yeah, and we would be banning all sorts of like innovative, cool plays that somebody comes up with just because for a period of time it's unstoppable. Like, yeah, 
next, you know, a few, we were a few weeks away from banning same side motion because nobody can stop Miami doing it, right? What, that's not right. how this works. That's They're kinda, doing something. That's, that's kind of the mindset that I have with it is it's like, yeah, it's unstoppable. But when I look at it, when people are like, they should ban the play, I'm like, why though? Right. Just just be just because it's really difficult to stop because to me again to me this just speaks more to the Eagles are better at building in the trenches than everybody else. Th- this is part of their strategy. This is this is part of the rewards that you get to reap when you are this good in the trenches. So hey, maybe there's somebody who's better and more into X's and O's than I am who can point out like, no, actually this play should not be allowed. And I'd be open to hear that argument. But until I do, I'm just looking at a team that's really dominant up front and they get a free one to two yards every time they want to do a QB sneak. Yeah. The only argument, the only argument I think is, you know, if, if at the moment you're not allowed to assist the runner by pulling him, Forward. Yeah, right. So why right. should you be allowed to assist him by pushing him forward? Period. Right. Like if you're not, if you're you're either allowed to assist the runner or you're not, and at the moment we're caught between two things, you're allowed to do it in one way but not another way. So I think that's a reasonable argument. I just don't think the argument, the argument should not be you ban it because it's too good, it's too successful. Right at the moment, it's winning, it's converting almost every single time. Therefore, it must be banned. I think the argument is the rules are inconsistent. Let's square them away one way or the other. And that should Mm -hmm. be the determining factor. Right. I'm with you. Let's move on to the other game. Los Angeles at Cincinnati. The whiteout game, which is quite an impressive display, actually, for a team that, you know, is normally orange, black, et cetera, et cetera. That stadium was white. (laughs) They did a pretty good job of getting the word out uh, for Cincinnati. What were your uh, big takeaways from this game? My big takeaway from this game, and it's a takeaway that I just have for this season, I know that the Bengals won the game. Okay, yeah, they, they won. They didn't start 3-0. I think that that's probably the most important. But outside of that, Sean McVay is to wide receivers what Kyle Shanahan is to quarterbacks. You can give Sean McVay any wide receiver, and he will figure out how to make them a production factory, an assembly line of yards, targets, catches, and points. He is taking these players... This, I mean, the Tutu Atwell pick when it was when it was made was one of the most scrutinized picks that we had in that entire draft, and yeah. it's taken a little bit to get to that point. But now he has completely found out how to use a guy who was basically just one dimensional with speed and completely make that speed productive. He's doing the same thing with Puka Nakua, and I don't mean to take away things from these players they've worked hard to get in this position especially nakua who um from everything that we have read has just really hit the ground running since he got in with that organization to be the most reliable receiver for matthew stafford that he can be but mcveigh will get these guys the ball his offense especially with matthew stafford being the quarterback of it is going to be able to get anybody the ball at any point in time so that was my it was it, it is astounding to me that the Los Angeles Rams are able to do this. They have on paper one of the worst rosters, if not the worst roster in the NFL outside of Matthew Stafford and Aaron Donald. Two very important positions, I realize that. But he is getting so much out of the rest of these players. And when they lost Cooper Cup, everybody was like, oh boy, this is a sneaky number one overall drafted team. And maybe they still are. They're they're still one and two. They're not three and oh out here. But it's been incredible for me to see what McVeigh has been able to cook up with this 
group of receivers. So that, again, last night was a big standing point for me. And I think they, I mean, they got robbed early. That 2-2 Atwell play, that was a touchdown. They decided that his foot touched out, uh, even though I don't think it did. I think they misinterpreted the the, uh, rubber pellets, like the blank pellets that spray up. I think that like looked like uh, his foot going over the sideline or the shadow of it or whatever and called him out at the three-yard line when he wasn't in a game the way that game went you know excruciating offense low scoring defensive uh, performance that's a big touchdown to not give them right away and I I think when you mentioned this Rams team it's bad on paper I think for the first game this season, we actually saw that manifest itself in a real way. Like that offensive line heading into the year, you're like, that group is a problem. And generally, this Rams offense has really struggled when their offensive line has struggled. This was the first game where that really showed up. And multiple members of that offensive line were just getting destroyed, particularly by Trey Hendrickson um, around the edge against backup left tackles. But for the first time, like that Rams team, I think, was exposed for the relative lack of talent they have overall. I agree. What about the Bengals side of things? What do you think of the Bengals? Um, I mean, Joe Burrow is obviously the big story, right? He plays through the calf injury. Uh, He looked, I think, good in terms of getting the ball where he wanted it to go, like understanding where to to move. I think you could see visibly that his, his arm, which already isn't great, was weak like he he couldn't drive off that calf he was yeah clearly sort of taking care of himself and there was some passes he put in the air that that didn't look great but you know t higgins had a rough game how many drops did t higgins have where the the ball could have should have been caught um and wasn't i thought overall burrow looked solid especially when you consider what he was dealing with playing through that uh that uh, calf injury and the fact that Aaron Donald looked like Aaron Donald for the first time in a while and was just destroying mm-hmm. that interior offensive line. Yeah, it's that the Burrow is is the ultimate story. I mean, I thought the Bengals defense was fantastic. They were yeah. great on third down. I thought they were great in the red zone. Like they they were fantastic at getting pressure on Matthew Stafford all night and converting it even into sacks. So uh, I thought that the defense played very very well, which I figured that they would. This is a really good defense on paper and has been for the last couple of years. Burrow is the big story because of what you mentioned. When I was watching him play the week prior against the Ravens, that arm had no juice. And it's because he is already somebody who does not have the strongest arm in the world that when you take away the power that he generates from his lower body, it gets even worse. Yeah. And on that Geno Stone interception, I'll keep going back to it. Sure, maybe you say to yourself, it's just a great play by Gino, or he shouldn't have thrown that ball anyways. When the ball was out of his hand, there's nothing on it. It's not even like he saw the tight window and tried to like put everything he had into that. It was a floater, man. And you you go back and you watch that play and you watch his body. Sure, he's standing upright, but you physically see him like torque his back and his arms and his shoulders like even further than normal to try to get more power onto it because he's not doing anything from the lower body because of that calf injury. So that was something that really worried me because it, it wasn't enough against the Ravens, and I wondered if it would be enough against the Rams. It clearly was. They got a three-point win, but I I don't know how much – like, does he really heal and get better if you continue to play him? That's my worry. 
Well, that's because if 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 you can tell me, I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but if you can tell me that if he just takes it easy every other day other than game day, that his calf will eventually get to, let's just say, between eighty and ninety percent. Then I'd be like, okay, yeah, play him. But if him going through practices and going through walkthroughs and playing in the game and having to go through regular rehab as well and obviously taking hits every game day and all that kinds of stuff, if that is basically going to say, yeah, his calves probably not going to be better than like 60% the whole season, you might need to shut him down, even for where your record is. You might need to give him a couple weeks off and and, and see where you are after that because – the Bengals need Joe Burrow at full health to compete in that AFC. And so that that's just my big takeaway, even from after last night as well. Yeah, I mean, that was the dilemma that we talked about on Friday with uh, with our injury guy, Vic Troja, uh, on, what is, on what Tyler has affectionately nicknamed the boo-boo breakdown. Um, but Vic's point was basically like, there's no halfway house to this. Like, Burrow either needs to be shut down for a number of weeks to make this thing go away, to make it heal, or you're going to be dealing with last night's version of Joe Burrow for the rest of the year because it it won't heal if it's being, you know, if you're going out there every week and, and doing a full game on it, it's going to be what it is, which means that's the guy you're getting. And look, the other th- amazing thing about it was like he dropped back to pass 50 times. They didn't, you know, they, I mean, right. they didn't have a choice necessarily, but it wasn't like they were able to protect him and Burrow was just a, a distributor and didn't do an awful lot. He had to carry that offense and he made some mistakes in there as well, but generally played pretty well. The other side of the ball, though, that the Rams, you mentioned their struggles on third down. I wrote down exactly what it was because it was wild. They started 0-6 on third downs, right? Then Not they great. get a conversion late in, uh, in, the thir- in the third quarter, but it was negated. So then they actually end up going 0-10 on third downs before finally getting their first official conversion on that touchdown at the death, which ended up not making any difference whatsoever. So effectively, over the course of the game, the Rams basically could not convert a third down at all. You know, you kind of have to convert on third down to win football games. That's why people tune into PFF. That's why, you know, they, they sign up for the advanced data. Um, I was just looking this up while you were talking because I was curious of the Bengals' schedule because they're in a tough division and obviously they're in the AFC. So I was like, is there going to be even a place where you can rest Joe Burrow? If you are going to give Joe Burrow any time off at all that's not centered around the bye week, it's actually these next two weeks. And it doesn't sound, you know, playing him against the Rams makes you feel like they're not going to sit him. Yeah. But they play at Tennessee. It's a Titans team that they should beat. And then they play at Arizona. And I get that Arizona's been scrappy, but if you are looking anywhere else in the schedule, it's rough. Seahawks, 49ers, Bills, Ravens, Steelers, Jags, Steelers again, Kansas City Chiefs, Cleveland Browns. Like Their schedule is littered with teams that are above 500 rosters, whether they're above 500 when they play them or not. But these next two games against the Titans and Cardinals are basically the easiest two games that they're going to have in a stretch. So if you're going to rest Joe Burrow at all whatsoever, it would probably be these next two weeks. But I don't think they're going to do it. No, I don't either. I think their biggest problem is that all those games, no matter who they're playing, it 
that like who wins changes whether Burrow's in the lineup or not. Like the Titans, yeah, Cincinnati should beat them with Joe Burrow. If Jake Browning is the quarterback, should they beat them? Probably not. Like Hey, hey, hey. I'm just saying. You're probably right. Yeah. Uh, other guys that, that had fantastic games, we talked about Trey Hendrickson and, and the damage he was doing. That guy put up mm-hmm. 10 pressures in that game. The league leader through three weeks is at 19. So that was Ooh. a pretty pretty impressive performance by him. Logan Wilson, spectacular uh, interception, like two interceptions, in fact. Um, yeah, was a real too. impact for, player for them. I thought overall that Bengals defense looked like it was supposed to for maybe the first time this season. Like, Lost in all the Joe Burrow hysteria over the first two weeks has been like nothing else on the Bengals had been looking particularly good either. Yeah, I, I yeah I agree with you. I mean that that first week it's the weather conditions were so crazy. You know you're almost kind of throwing everything out of the window. Ravens game was close. They ended up scoring 27 in that win. But I do agree with you in large part. This is to me one of the better defenses in the NFL, and they're definitely going to have games where it just feels like they're suffocating the other team, especially when the Bengals play at home. Man, I feel like home field advantage in Cincinnati. Not to you know pander to PFF headquarters, but like they go crazy for the Bengals, and I, I really do feel like that environment is huge for them. So I don't know off the top of my head what the win loss split is for the. Uh, for the Bengals when it comes to whether they're at home or whether they're on the road. But I feel as though that defense really steps up when they're at home. So um, it was it was good to see that because, yeah, no matter what Burroughs' percentages of health, like th- they're going to need that this year. Um, Byron Young also for the Rams, I thought, had a really good game. Rookie, uh, edge rusher. The combination of him on the same side when it happens with Aaron Donald is just mm-hmm. a ball of destruction for opposing offensive lines to try and deal with. I was decently high on Byron Young going into going into the draft. I felt like I felt like I was one of the few people who was like, "This dude can really play." Like he had the athletic scores, but he didn't quite have the production yeah. yet. But He's pretty new to the game of football at this at that high of a level, even when he was playing at Tennessee, because he was at a different school before, which is much lower level competition. And so his journey, you could kind of explain why he hadn't broke out yet. Like a lot of people look because I think he's I think he's 24, 25 years old, something like that. Yeah. People go, okay, you still haven't broke out and you're 24, 25, you're playing in college. And there's context to believe that his best football could have been in front of him. So when the the Rams ended up drafting him, I liked the spot because it was going to allow him to play right away. He didn't really have to fight too much in front of him in the depth chart. So it makes me happy to hear that you gave him a shout out there. No, I I mean, he, he was a fun player in the draft evaluation because he's one of the most twitchy, explosive, ridiculous movement skills of any edge rusher in this draft, but he just clearly had no real idea what he was doing. Which, right. okay, that when you combine that with some of the things you mentioned, right, already being 24, et cetera, it, like that, that's not necessarily a great combination. But as you said, there are reasons for it. Like his backstory actually can justify why he doesn't really have any idea what he's doing yet. Point being, if you find a coach that can figure it out and tell him what he's doing and help him along, and he puts that part of it together, all the physical tools are there. And so far, that looks like it's kind of happening. Like, he's made a lot of noise over the first few weeks. And, you know, we know the kind of impact that Aaron Donald can have inside of an edge rusher in terms of giving them opportunities to make plays and, and the you know, clean up plays, all those kinds of things that other guys don't get. So I think you should be, everyone should be excited for what he can actually do over the course of not just his rookie season, but beyond as well. 
I agree. I agree. I'm with you all the way. All right. Let's uh, let's move on now and start looking at teams for whom the draft is already an intriguing proposition, right? We have, what, one, two, three, four teams that are now 0-3 after mm. the first three weeks of the season and a bunch of teams sitting there with just the one win on the board. So let's start up top. Everybody's favorite mock draft candidate right now, the Chicago Bears, after the disaster that has been that team, everything about it, and Justin Fields through the first three weeks um, how do you imagine the Bears are looking at this draft right now? Well, not only are they the most exciting because they're picking at one, but everybody can see up there as well. They own Carolina's pick. Yep. And if Carolina p- keeps playing bad, they could have two top five picks. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could have one and two, which would be insane. And so, you know, uh, let's just be honest. If Chicago is picking anywhere near number one overall again, they're not trading the pick this time. They're moving on from Justin Fields. They're getting a quarterback. It's the, the the actual conversation at this point when it comes to the Bears are, is Eberflus out? Like, are we right. already moving on from him after two years? And the way that this roster plays throughout the rest of this year, I don't think that Ryan Poles is in danger yet. I really don't because you need a you truly need more time as a GM to even fairly evaluate stuff like that. But he's taken some swings and obviously he's had some misses as all GMs do when they are first starting out especially. But to me, that is the big question. If you are so bad that you're picking number one overall, or let's just say even in the top three, because you're getting yourself either Drake May or Caleb Williams, do you want the coaching staff that has established this current culture in Chicago to then get a year with your new franchise QB? I would lean that you don't because... That stuff, winning attitude is contagious. A losing attitude and a losing culture is often a pandemic. Like when you start to slip and not believe and become this franchise that does not believe in themselves, things get bad very, very quickly. And the only way that you really wash all of that out is when you get new coaches and new leadership in the building. So I often agree that it is unfair to only give head coaches two years i think that head coaches really need three years minimum for you to correctly judge them but unfortunately for Eberflus, he's on a timeline where things are going so poorly for the bears yeah that if they are picking another quarterback i don't know if they're going to want that current regime to kind of like roll the dice on all right well maybe you'll be good with this next quarterback because you weren't good for fields it basically comes down to how much they're putting the blame on the coaching staff versus Justin Fields at this point for the lack of production and honestly the lack of hope that that entire that that, that entire regime and organization is exuding right now. I think there are times where the decision kind of gets made for you, and I think this is true with starting quarterbacks as well. Like the Zach Wilson, the, the Zach Wilson discussion, that is eventually going a decision that is going to be made for Robert Sala. As much as every single week he's going out there going, Zach Wilson is our guy, he's our quarterback, he's the guy that's going to be starting all year long. It simply will not happen. At some point, it will become too much, and Zach Wilson will have played his way to the bench, and he'll mm-hmm. have to make a change of some description, right? This happened with Marcus Mariota as well, multiple times in the last few years. It just, it's inevitable. Right now, the situation in Chicago is going so badly that you're going to have to fire somebody, right? That's just the way the NFL works at this stage. Right. If this is the way it's going to be from now to the end of the season, people will lose their jobs at the end of the year because... There just has to be consequences for that. There has to be 
somebody held to account for the dumpster fire that is happening right now. And that brings everybody this kind of cathartic closure where you can go, okay, even if it wasn't really their fault, somebody has been burned at the stake for this, and now we can all move on. doesn't matter yeah. if we got the right person. The point being, we exercised the disaster of the season, and now we all set off in a good direction feeling good about ourselves. So if, it's, if, it, if the Bears are, are what we've seen for the last few weeks, I think Eberflus will be gone. Um, but the bigger, sort of more interesting point to me is, this is why I think giving Justin Fields this year made a lot of sense. Number one, it wasn't obvious that he was a worse option than Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson. And after three weeks, I still don't think it's obvious, right, that one of those, I, any one of those things is the case. Richardson is, you know, still a work in progress, and the man's been concussed from running already. Um, Stroud looks very good, but it's three weeks. And Bryce Young has been a disaster behind a terrible offensive line in, in Carolina with no receivers to throw to. So mm-hmm. as much as the fields part of it isn't working out yet, it's not like any one of those three guys has shown, oh, wow, we just passed on the greatest quarterback to come along in the last 10 years to do this, right? So yeah, it was at least a debatable decision anyway. You add DJ Moore in the process, and potentially more importantly, you get two first-round picks next year which means if it does go catastrophically badly, you're already in a position to get whoever the QB is you want anyway, right? Even if they don't pick number one overall, they're going to have two top five draft picks potentially, so you can at least go and get the guy that you really want, right? They're in a position already to draft the next guy if, if and when it turns out Justin Fields isn't that guy. Yeah, and, and the timelines for Chicago were... Um... I don't, I don't want to say off. Off's not the word. Maybe not as in sync as you would want with the rest of the roster because Justin Fields, it, it was going into this year, it was still year three for him. You don't know if he's good. Right. Well, if he takes a little bit of a step forward, then you go, okay, he's taking a little bit of a step forward here. Maybe he will be at his best next year. That's year four of his rookie contract. Yeah, you have the, the fifth-year option as well, but you're already then thinking, dang, we've got a budget for a second contract quarterback at this point. And unfortunately for Chicago, neither of their trenches are at the point where they're in unison with the quarterback contract. So best case scenario, you were looking at Fields being good, but then having to pay him an exorbitant amount of money to then keep him on the team and hope that the offensive line and defensive lines have gotten better at that point. Because right now... We're multiple years away from the Bears' defensive line and offensive line being where they need to be to actually compete. And I think that that was something that was very much brushed under the table when people thought about the Chicago Bears this season. They were just like, yeah, 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 but like Fields year two, he's going to be way better. Look at all these receivers, everything. And you go, trenches aren't looking great, but nobody really wanted to hear that this summer. And I was probably guilty of that as well, not really emphasizing that as much as I needed to. But that, to me, also is a vote of confidence from almost just pressing the reset button entirely new coaching staff in there you get a new quarterback in there which means you are resetting that quarterback contract timer and that's going to be more in line to me with the timeline that it's going to take for you to build the trenches in chicago as well so that year three of that rookie contract for whoever's the quarterback next is going to be in unison within the offensive and defensive lines being able to carry the team. Then you've got two more years of that rookie contract for that quarterback, playing at a very high level, hopefully competing in the playoffs. 
and then you okay you're signing them to a second contract but the rest of the team is where is is at the point to where that contract and that money is worth it because you are able to have that winning window open especially in the early years of that contract which is a lot of times when the guarantees are up for these teams so to me the timeline makes so much sense for chicago to move on after this year especially with looking at how things are going on the field yeah, I think given where they're positioned now with these draft picks, it might be a rough year for Chicago. But overall, I think they're well positioned to capitalize on the, the, the benefits that that will bring. Looking at the other teams that are winless at the moment, of the three, Carolina, whose pick is going to Chicago, um, and then Denver and Minnesota, mm-hmm. It strikes me that two of those three teams are not going to be down here when we get to the draft. I, I think as bad as things have been in Denver – I know that you know Miami just hung 70 on them and Minnesota have looked rough. I still don't feel that either one of those two teams is bad enough that they're going to be picking like top three, top five by the time we get to the end of a 17-game schedule. I am more convinced that Minnesota would be than than the Broncos. You know, I understand that, like you said, like they just they just gave up 70 points to the Dolphins, but you know, fortunately for them, those points don't carry over, right? right the next right. game starts 0-0. And I think that Sean Payton is too competitive of a head coach to not put this team in the right situation to succeed. So obviously with them starting 0-3, I think that their final record is going to be something like, you know, 6-11, and yeah. you know, maybe 7-10 and at best, it feels like, for the Broncos at this point. But I don't think they're going to be a team that's going to be finishing in the top five. It would take a pretty big collapse, given all the talent on that roster, for them to finish worse than that and finish near the top five. Minnesota's a little bit different, though, because... Minnesota is you can you can kind of look at it one of two ways. You can kind of say there's no way these turnovers continue at the rate that they are for Minnesota and they're going to they're eventually going to pick up some wins here that are going to get them far out of the top 5. But I also wonder what happens to this team if say 3 weeks from now let's say they go 1 and 2 out of their next 3 games, right? If they're sitting here at 1 and 5, how many dudes like like how motivated are they to just like really be this big upset team at that point all the conversation's going to be about okay this is Kirk Cousins last year move on from him now just start the next guy it's going to be I'm not saying like these players are going to quit because they never do and that's not a thing that happens in the NFL but I could see the wheels falling off in Minnesota more so than the other 0-3 team in the Denver Broncos that's kind of where that's kind of what I'm thinking with it the Vikings would be a fascinating team to end up there because they never do, right? They're almost always throughout their history too right, good yeah. to ever reset properly with that top five draft pick. They always win six games or more, right? And find themselves picking the fringes of the top 10 at the earliest rather than where they need to be to get that new quarterback in the future. If they finally had that year where the whole thing just unspooled, everything went to hell. Maybe they trade away Kirk Cousins to the Jets once they finally make that decision on Zach Wilson and actually end up picking top three and get to go after a new franchise quarterback for the first time in a long, long time. I mean, you know, uh, Christian Ponder was picked number 12 or something. Dante Culpepper, I think, was the fringes of the top 10. I don't remember when the last Vikings quarterback selected that was like top five was. That would be a real historical moment for that team. Yeah, and Questy's probably licking his chops getting to pick a franchise quarterback, you know, because right. he's he's probably absolutely in love with that idea. I was actually talking with my co-host on NFL Stock Exchange, Connor Rogers, who covers the Jets. He's a big Jets guy. 
And we've talked about the Kirk Cousins thing before. And I think me and you have talked about that on this show. The thing that it feels like makes the most sense for both parties involved is for the Jets to say, okay, we, I mean, you don't offer your first round pick at the beginning, but like basically saying we already were operating like we did not have that first round pick trade it to Minnesota, get Kirk Cousins, actually compete, get to the playoffs, set up a winning culture, and then you just let Kirk walk. Because if you let Kirk walk, then you're getting the comp pick back from him. And you're probably getting what? Third, fourth round comp pick, depending on the contract that he signs. And I still think Kirk Cousins is good enough to start in the league. So you're getting a third round comp pick because he's going to sign for massive money. So then you get a third round comp pick back to kind of recoup for the first rounder that you would trade. But ultimately, we had this conversation the other day. I don't think Minnesota does that. Because I think for as much as Questy would love to just say, let's tank. We're not going to be good this year. Give me all the good draft picks possible, and I will rebuild this team. It doesn't exactly work like that in the NFL. And if they were to trade Kirk Cousins for, I mean, who's the backup? Nick Mullins? Is mm-hmm. that who their backup is? Yeah. Like, what are you saying to your fans at that point? You would essentially have to openly come out and say, the rest of this season does not matter to your fans. And I don't know if a multi, multi, multi million dollar franchise is even allowed to do that. So um, <laughs> that's, I don't know how realistic that is, even though it would be cool and also makes sense. So Carolina is the other team I think that could be rough, but their draft pick is going to Chicago. So they're not really a team to talk about here. Um, of the other teams, like once you get beyond the 0 3 teams, who are the other teams that are going to be picking in the top five? Raiders, I think, are bad. Um, I think the Raiders are a team with a marginal quarterback and a head coach that does not give them the edge to win enough. Um, The decisions that McDaniels has made over the last couple of years for Vegas have actively hurt the team, in my opinion. Um, The Chandler Jones situation is one of the strangest situations going on in the NFL that it feels like nobody's talking about with him not playing. Mm. Uh, Tyree Wilson is not ready right now to be a difference maker in this league it's basically just max crosby and there's some nice players on that defense and obviously some nice players in that offense but they're not coming together as a team so i think they are going to finish in the top five when it's all said and done and tennessee oh man i I feel like tennessee is another one of those teams that's probably going to finish at the top five but i'm always wary of betting against mike vrabel because he's just gotten so much out of so little so many times before but i think they're another contender which makes for an interesting conversation right if tennessee's got a top five pick and they have their chance to select a quarterback do they do it do they go out and get a quarterback having malik willis having will levis as well i don't know i think that's an interesting conversation there um and then i think the other team that would that would kind of be in that competition would be the Rams. i know they're sitting all the way down at number 15 due to strength of schedule but roster is still not very good when you compare it to most of the other teams in the nfl uh, I think McVay is a good enough head coach to potentially keep them out of that top five. But when you just look at teams that are sitting there at one and two, the ones that you would bet on to be in the top five, I would say the Raiders, the Titans, and the Rams are still those top teams to me. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I also, I Arizona have shown that they're probably a better team already than everybody was expecting them to be. I still wouldn't be shocked if they if they're feisty all year long but not actually good enough to win enough games i know they yes, shocked they're, dallas they're top they're top 10 for me for sure yeah. i just don't know where in that top 10 they're gonna finish 
now looking at how they've competed over the last two weeks. Right. I mean, shocking Dallas shows that they're capable of beating pretty much anybody in the NFL. But and they should have shocked the Giants. Exactly. Right? They, they 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 should be two, they should be two and one right now, which is crazy to say. But yeah, but equally basically stopping scoring for an entire half against the Giants show how vulnerable that is as well. So they could basically finish anywhere is what I'm saying. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if they were a team that was down there as well. Uh, I agree with you on the Rams. I think they've got the potential to have that kind of collapse. I think the Raiders is probably also a team that has, I think Tennessee tends to fall into that Vikings category of they're just, they're never going to lose that number of games. I do wonder if the Giants could unspool at that level. Like, they yeah, somebody some... just brought up their schedule in the chat. I'm um, looking up their schedule. Okay, they got Seahawks, Dolphins, Bills. No, it's not. That's not great. <laughs> Com- Commanders, Jets, Raiders. Okay, that's not too bad. Cowboys, Commanders, Patriots, Packers, Saints, Eagles, Rams, Eagles. It's not the. It's not the worst thing in the world, but certainly. Oh man, if they go zero and three over these next three weeks, that's going to be bad for that team. Yeah, that's gonna be tough. They the, the wheels might fall off, so that's a good shout out by you. Yeah, and then I don't really see any of the two and one teams unspooling to that degree, though. Obviously, we've seen that in the past, where you know the Bears last year, right? They had their two and one, and then didn't win a game since that point. Well, look, Steve's just hanging around the uh, outside the studio. Hmm. Not doing the show. Not even doing just, his own show. Yeah, not even doing his own show. Just standing here, making um, two and one teams. You know, I think that Tampa could still be a team that, that finishes within the top 10, right? I think that they're sitting here at 2-1, and one and some people are feeling good about their direction. But I think last night kind of showed this going to be a scrappy team, but Minnesota truly gave away that game against Tampa in Week 1. Sure, they beat the Chicago Bears, and the Bears are one of the worst teams in the NFL, and I think that we see that right now. But you lose the Eagles, and they're in a pretty scrappy division. Tampa's kind of a coin flip, right? I think that they're probably Tampa to me is anywhere from picking from five to 15. That's where I think that their range is going to be, but they are another one that could be within that top 10. That's that, that, that has a positive record right now. Obviously everybody is focusing on Caleb Williams, you know, at the top of this draft, we talked about other quarterbacks could force their way up there as well. Marvin Harrison jr. The wide receiver is going to be one of the top, um, picks in this draft as well it's also from the sounds of it a really good draft class for offensive tackles which is usually a source of um an area to target for teams that are picking in the top five that's usually one of the areas that gets focused on yeah this this upcoming nfl draft in 2024 is going to be a lot of fun because i feel as though over the last handful of years things always get unpredictable when teams prioritize non-premium positions differently right like atlanta picking a running back in the top 10 or detroit doing what they did with jameer gibbs and then um and then jack campbell right it 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 always kind of drafts always tend to get off the rails when there's not enough for sure talent at premium positions to where teams go okay we just got to get good football players on our teams then so if there's not a quarterback offensive tackle edge rusher or let's say like lockdown corner maybe even receiver on the board that they're happy with they might look elsewhere and we might see a pick like that this draft is shaping up to have a lot of talent at the premium positions a lot of talent at quarterback a lot of talent at offensive tackle ton of talent at wide receiver and 
I think that the edge rush group is probably a little bit less than those three that I just named, but still really nice talent at the top, some guys to covet in the first round. And so do we see teams this year get even more aggressive knowing that there are premium position players that they want to go up and get? So I think that it's going to make for a very, very fun draft. I'm telling you, man, I'm, I'm already through 185 players in this class and I've got guys who are sitting at 115, 120 on my ranking. So I'm like, I got to move them up. There's no way they should have a 115 <laughs> next to their name. They're too good. And I just scroll up and down and I look at my big board and I'm like, I don't know where I put them. There's, there's, there's a lot of really good football players in this class. And truly, this year more than other years in the past, it's an exciting year and a really deep year. That's going to be fun to follow and analyze. So fans of these teams that are already looking at the draft, where do they got to go to check out all your stuff now that we're starting earlier this year and getting a good head start and all this stuff? Ooh, I'm glad you asked because we got a fun schedule that we are updating uh, throughout the season. And uh, this upcoming week, so next week, uh, starting on Monday, we're going to have a brand new mock draft, the quarter season mock draft. So I'll have a new mock draft that's coming out, full first round mock. But we're also updating the mock draft machine uh, with team needs and also the current draft order. You can see that right now, but we'll be updating that at the beginning of next week as well. If you want to check out the big board and all those players that I mentioned, we're updating that and pushing it from 150 to 175 this upcoming week too. So next year, next week is a huge NFL draft week over at pff.com. Make sure you're checking it out. Uh, bookmark the NFL draft tab because we're updating the big board. We're updating the mock draft machine. We're updating the team needs and we're having mock drafts and all sorts of articles that are coming out all the time we're starting draft season way earlier this year because people seem to really enjoy whenever we put that out so we're already cranking it out whenever you want to dip that toe into draft season wherever you are whether you're a fan of oh and three teams or three and oh teams we're gonna have you handled at pff.com let's go all right that's our uh, first toe dipped into this water we'll be talking about the draft though all the way through on these tuesdays with trevor sikama myself and steve will be back tomorrow with jt o'sullivan qb school will be on nice. the show now an hour later so 11 30 eastern because jt's on the west coast and didn't want the 7 30 a.m wake up call which i think is reasonable it's fair no, enough. it's very reasonable yeah. i'm excited for that i will be in the chat for that one jt is one of the best he's awesome outstanding so if you guys uh, want to see that check out it tomorrow 11 30 on the youtube channel or wherever you get your podcasts whenever it shows up later in the day thank you all for uh, listening hope you've enjoyed and we'll talk to you tomorrow